You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? I am doing very well, Nick. Thank you for asking. Awesome. Podcast day. Podcast day. And, you know, we always comment on the weather and this is my kind of weather. It's sunny, it's summer, and it is 59 degrees. <laughs> Way I'm too cold wearing jeans and a sweatshirt and, <laughs> uh, you know, continues to be the weather of my people. Yeah. Is it uh, hazy up there? You got some uh, Canadian smoke coming through? It's not. It's it's a little hazy, but it looks like I looked at a map in the New York Times about where that where it was bad. And it looks like it starts just south of us to get really bad, like the Gaylord Grayling area. Okay. So today's topic, Dave, uh, we're going to go back and talk about another Michigan State University case study, if you will. A common scenario that comes up that we're seeing is really a couple that is nearing retirement, you know, wants to retire and is looking for someone to help them kind of put all the pieces together. Kind of kind of been do-it-yourselfers for the most part, maybe with some support from uh you know, the, the plan providers at Michigan State, but, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly doing their own thing and cruising along. So now that they're getting close to uh, crunch time, they are really starting to focus on, okay, what does it mean to go from fully employed long-term careers at Michigan State to, uh, to being retirees? Yeah, really kind of trying to answer a couple of questions that are pretty common. One, can we retire? And then two, what does that look like for us? And right. then third, we've been, you know, we've been doing it ourselves with some support from the, you know, provided services by from MSU, but we feel like there's maybe some things we might be missing or not thinking of. And we just want help kind of thinking through these things. We want someone to kind of help us manage it going forward is commonly what we get with people kind of in this same age range. So we kind of made up our little avatars here. Bob is 62 and Barb is 61, married with long careers as MSU faculty. They've saved for retirement all through their careers, but with raising a family and moving across the country once, they fear that they are behind. Bob feels he's ready to retire if they can afford it, but Barb isn't so sure regardless of their finances. Since Bob is old enough to draw Social Security now, he feels he should be able to be done with work. They set up their MSU retirement accounts years ago, and we use TIA Cref in this example because um, it gives us a couple of wrinkles to talk about with their plan, and then left them alone. Bob knows they have a lot of risk, but it has paid off well over the years, and he is confident that continuing in, of that continuing in the future. Regardless of Social Security and investment accounts, Barb feels they can't retire until their mortgage is paid off. They owe about $120,000 for the next five years at a rate of three and a half, originally a 15-year mortgage. So they refinanced, you know, when, when rates were very low. So, so try to uh, put some common... Uh, themes in here that we see so we can unpack this a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I think the first thing that I think about with this is Bob obviously wants to retire, but it's interesting. And we actually see this a lot, which is, Hey, I'm 62. 
yeah. the government says I can start taking social security. So it's, yeah. you know, I feel like I can retire now. And, and yeah. I'm not, you know, I think a lot of people think of it that way. Yeah. But one of the things, and, and the first thing that we would do in a scenario like this, Dave, is we'd really figure out what retirement looks like and go through and do the planning around what's most important to you. What are you looking forward to in mm-hmm. retirement? What do you want to do in retirement? Let's plan that stuff out. Because, it, you know, 62 is an arbitrary number that they came up with, what, I mean, 40, 50, 60 years ago, something along those lines, like when yeah. you could first start yeah. drawing Social Security. So, you know, that is just kind of a number that's always put in the back of our heads of, hey, I should do this. Yeah. But we really need to stop and think, is this what I really want to do? Yeah. And what do I, you know, and we always say, we don't want you to retire from something. We want you to retire to something, right? So like, yes. if this so, all works out, what is it? What is going to make you excited to get out of bed every day, but making sure you have enough money so that you can sleep soundly at night, right? Yeah, right. And we've, we've done plenty of work lately in podcasts and blog articles on, on retirement ages and thinking about that. So yeah, that's, that would be, that would be really important here with Barb and Bob to really sit down and figure out what's important and where they want to be 10 years from now. Yeah. Cause it's always one of those things like, you know, a lot of people feel like, well, I'm 62, so I should retire because I can start social security. Some of those people don't even want to retire. They just feel right. like they ought to. <laughs> right. And it's, and it's also not uncommon for spouses to have different visions of retirement and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Right. A lot mm-hmm. of times we can, we can work out scenarios where one retires or partially retires and another, you know, continues to work. And, you know, there's lots of middle ground there. Some people come in thinking, yeah, you know, if if Bob's going to retire, then Barb needs to retire too, because, you know, what's Mm -hmm. the point of of one being retired? And that's not necessarily the case either when you start digging into what retirement really means. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I thought you laid out well here too, is that dynamic between you know, Bob is ready to retire. Barb feels like they can't retire, is more concerned about the finances. That's a pretty common, like there's usually, usually we don't get people on the same page in regards in in terms of, hey, we both have the same risk tolerance. We're both as the same comfort level with the finances, right? Right. It's usually kind of a split between one more conservative, one a little bit more aggressive. And and I, I put this in here with Barb focusing on, we can't retire until the mortgage is paid off. A lot of times people will come in expressing something like that, but that's not mm-hmm. the bigger issue. It's mm-hmm. really just Barb isn't ready to retire or worries in general about letting go of their salaries, right? Right. She, she may come in and say, well, we can't retire until the mortgage is paid off. Well, if the mortgage was paid off, it would be something else, right? Right. So the cars are paid off or until um, we've saved so much for, you know, vacations or you know, we just, there, there's always going to be something that cheese is going to keep moving. Right. In oh, for sure. mind. And mm-hmm. so that's where, you know, the, like sitting down and unpacking that and figuring out what is really important to Barb comes into play because the mortgage is just one element. Right. And, oh, for sure. But, but what she's saying is more of a symptom of a, just a bigger insecurity around what retirement means. 
kind of going back to that d- dynamic that we usually see between couples, I kind of find it a little bit easier to work with couples that are on mm-hmm. different sides of the spectrum than like <laughs> if they're both real yeah. big spenders and really being yeah. really aggressive, like it's hard to rein them in where if right, you have them right. on the opposite ends of the spectrum, they can kind of play off each other. And Checks and balances. Yeah. 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 And, and they've, and especially with a couple that's been like, like that are in their early sixties or, you know, closer to retirement, they've been, they've been checking and balancing each other without us for a long time. Right? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so, so we're, we become more of the, uh, the validator in that sense of yes, what you're doing, you're regulating each other well, or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's probably some truth to, there's probably some reasons for Barb's insecurities and we've got to like help rein in Bob's, you know, maybe more aggressiveness. Yeah. And then one more thing that I'll add on this too is, you know, especially for some of our professor clients, it's not like a, it's usually not an all or none election, right? right? Like it's not like, Hey, either you work or you, you work full time or you don't work at all. Right. Usually there's some middle ground there. And so maybe it's one of those where Bob's ready, but Barb wants to kind of stage it and maybe take some Mm -hmm. time off or have a lower class load or whatever it is so that she can kind of gradually ease into it and they can spend more time and kind of practice retirement before they're both fully retired. So then once we've kind of reached consensus on that, then it's really a matter of looking at how much they need to spend to make it all work and how their resources can support that or what do they need to do and then you know do they need to work a couple more years to make it work or you know what how how do we go about the actual mechanics of moving into retirement Yep, absolutely. And kind of the the big three to think about when we're looking at budget is what is your basic spending? So how much Mm -hmm. does it cost just to run your household? And then the other big one is how do we look at healthcare and healthcare spending, right? We know that if you're in your 60s, that's going to be a major expense. How does that Mm -hmm. play with your insurance? You know, obviously before age 65, what does the MSU plan look like before you hit Medicare age? What does the supplement plan look like? Mm-hmm. What does out-of-pocket costs look like? What's your general health? And, right. you know, also inflating that at what, you know, like a higher percent or whatever yeah. the medical inflation rate is these days. Right, right. <laughs> the, the interesting thing with clients in this age group, though, Compared to like we did an earlier case study with with a middle aged couple and then a younger client with this age group, we can get pretty specific. Okay, if you're looking to retire in the next year or two, and we can put some numbers on your actual like what do you want to do in retirement, we can get pretty specific, right? And we know that there's going to be change, right? Three years mm-hmm. into retirement, it'll look different, but we can at least give you an idea of this is what you're spending now. These expenses likely go away during retirement, but you're going to pick up these other expenses and, you know, give you a pretty good idea of how that projects out then into retirement Mm -hmm. and whether you, whether you can, you know, retire with confidence or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or what do you need to do? What do you need to do to retire with confidence? Mm -hmm. And that, that part of it is so important because then we can go into, okay, 
you know, maybe we don't have enough, right? And the, the third category mm-hmm. that we didn't talk about is discretionary fund stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to want some discretionary spending in retirement. Right. You're not just going to want to cover right. your health care and your expenses. Right. You're going to want to do something, especially in your 60s. Yeah. So yeah. once we get to that point, it, then we can kind of play the game of, okay, if you retire now, maybe we're not at that number. Maybe we're, you know, $100 a month below it. Is there a hundred dollars that you can cut that you feel comfortable with or how do you want to make up that gap? Yeah. Yeah. Or the flip side is, you know, maybe you're a little bit over it, but you still want to work for a couple of years. We can have that conversation around, here's how much your budget would increase if you work an extra year, an extra two years. So that really allows you to kind of visualize, what am I working for? What does it mean? Is that worth it to me or is it not? You know, it really helps people kind of, take a look at what it actually means to work one more year versus retiring now. And if, if it's worth it to have that potential extra monthly income in retirement or not. We can really look at those trade-offs mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, then that, that's actually the most fun part of planning for me is when you've got, got those different levers to pull with somebody where you've got, you've done the, you've done the homework of figuring out what they need and you know what they have. And it's like, okay, Let's let's look at these trade-offs and see, like, is it worth it to delay retirement another year so you can do these things with a little more confidence versus yeah. uh, reducing those? That's that's to me where the rubber meets the road, and it's kind of kind of the, the yeah stuff. One of my favorite things too is like if people decide they want to keep working for an extra couple of years, they always kind mm-hmm. of that there's this flip that switches where it's like. I can I can get through yes. this knowing that I can walk away at any time. Right. Oh yeah, no yeah. The, the, we call it the the Johnny Paycheck syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah. You could say take this job, I'm done with it. If uh, if if you right. uh, if you need to, kind of makes it easier to show up the next day. <laughs> it happens. It happens pretty frequently. Yeah, for That's sure. That's always fun. So yeah, then it's a matter of uh, implementation, right? And looking mm-hmm. at the various parts and saying, uh, okay, then we do this with your retirement account and we do this with, uh, you know, social security would be an important thing to analyze for Bob and Barb. Mm -hmm. If, you know, say, say Bob is going to retire at 62 or 63, you know, he's, he came in with the assumption that, you know, that was tied to his ability to draw social security. Well, not so fast, you know, we'd really want to factor that out and see if it makes sense for Bob to go ahead and draw at 62 versus delaying and using other resources. Mm-hmm. So what, and what we do there quite simply is we keep the spending constant and just look at what happens if we're using money from portfolio resources until a certain age versus starting social security and leaving the portfolio for later. And mm-hmm. there's pros and cons both ways. We've talked about this before. You know, we, we talked to clients about longevity. You know, the one thing we know is if you delay, you're going to get fewer payments over your lifetime. We just don't know how many fewer. So right. we've got to kind of figure out that break even point and, you know, factor in the client's health and just have a frank discussion. And, you know, some, some advisors market their ability to nail down the best social security strategy for people. I think usually they're putting too fine a point on it because they still don't know when the client's going to die. Right. Which is the key variable. For sure. Yeah. Right. If you tell us exactly when you're going to die, I'll tell you exactly what to do with social security. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, we, we, 
I think we've gotten pretty good at helping clients think about the trade-offs there. Mm-hmm. And uh, most folks, uh, you know, the, for most people, the computer is going to suggest that they delay till 70 if they can, because the computer is assuming they're going to live into their early 90s for planning mm-hmm. purposes. So they're, they, and with most people, the break-even age for Social Security is somewhere in their late 70s. Right. It's, it varies a little bit depending on, depending on survivor benefits and different ages and spouses and different social security benefits for spouses. But uh, for most people, the computer is going to suggest that they wait. Yeah. And I think most people like that break point that you said, um, I think most people are a little surprised by how early mm-hmm. that is compared yeah. to life expectancy right now. You know, most people feel like they're going to live longer than that unless they have a long history of yeah. everyone in their family not making it to 70. Um, right. Most people feel pretty confident in, in living longer than that. And so a lot of right. times that's what leads towards that delayment decision. And I know that there's at least one listener out there that's going to sit up and say, but wait a minute, what about all the problems with social security? And shouldn't they start now to make sure that they get something? Well, we talked about that ad nauseum a few weeks ago on a couple of different podcasts. So <laughs> we won't go, won't go too into too much into that now, but we're not letting that drive our social security decision-making right now for clients close to retirement. Unless something dramatically changes that they put into law, there's no real reason on you know to plan on something. So I'll plan on an unknown, right? Then the other big piece of the puzzle is going to be Barb and Bob's retirement plans. Yeah. So looking at those portfolios and kind of making that decision between how do I best position this? How do I use this mm-hmm. as a piece of my overall plan? And also, what are my options at this point? Right. And, you know, one of the things we noted in the description was that, you know, they, they're taking a lot of risk right now. They're mostly in equities. It's paid off. Bob is has no problem with risk tolerance and, and just assumes the markets and economy overall will take care of things. And that's not uncommon for us to have people with that attitude, especially mm-hmm. if they've invested through the 90s and the 2000s and seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's worked out pretty well for them regardless. So in this situation, you know, we're mapping out when, you know, when does Social Security start? What do Barb and Bob need to spend? There's a pretty good chance we're going back to Bob and saying, okay, you know, you're a pretty, you're pretty risk tolerant, but your risk capacity is now lower because... Right we've got to start creating income, you know, within the next couple of years or, you know, whatever point the plan makes sense. So, you know, we might need you to go from 90% equities to, uh, you know, something more, less volatile, you know, you know, a lot of our retirees end up somewhere in the 50% to 60% uh, equity Mm -hmm. range. And so a lot of times that's always an interesting conversation because it seems like people fall into two camps. Either they are really worried about risk and we're trying to convince them they need to take more or they're completely oblivious to it, I guess, in a way. Hey, it's always worked out. It always will. And we're saying, well, (laughs) you know, I need to sleep at night knowing that this plan is going to work and and you being 90% in stock when we're taking, you know, X dollars a month from the portfolio. So that's always an interesting conversation and it's, and 
We didn't really say anything about Barb's risk tolerance, but given her overall reticence about retirement and not retiring until the mortgage is paid off and that sort of thing, kind of indicates she's probably more conservative than Bob. It's, it's interesting too, Dave, when you think about in terms of like, you know, the, the attitude of it's always worked out, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the economy will always come back. It, you know, that's the, that's the attitude that got you to this point and right. did really well for you. But unfortunately, when you start taking income, it can kind of work in reverse, right? So yeah, it can actually yeah. hurt you more at this point in time. Yeah. And that's not, that's not us saying that you're wrong about you know, the market being fine in the long term and the economy taking care of itself. It's us saying, yes, but if there's a three or four year rough patch in the middle or, you know, close to shortly after you retire and we're needing to liquid, that can have a ripple effect down the line where we've had to sell too many shares of things to make up your distributions at at the wrong time. The other thing too is when you're in that growth mindset and you and you have that mindset, it's great. But there's a different feeling when you're not putting money in anymore mm-hmm. and you're taking money out. And then you have, you know, a, if you have a 90% stock portfolio and a big correction comes, you know, it's a, it's a different feeling in terms of, hey... You know, when you're working, it's, hey, it's not a big deal. I can put more money in. I can always work longer. When you're not working anymore, you can't put more money in. You probably don't want to take less money out. And so it, the, the fear factor, the, you know, the worry increases a little bit. And so you know, it's something to consider as well as how you're going to react to that because it will be different than the past mm-hmm. when you've had those downturns before when you were working and putting money True. In. And a lot of times it becomes like a black and white issue to clients. Like I, I could be, I could, I could take all that risk while I was working. Now I have to take no risk. Right. And, and so that's too, <laughs> a lot of times we're like, okay, you're right. You need to reduce risk, but you know, that doesn't, you remember retirement is still hopefully a 30 year game, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that doesn't mean that it's 62, you take no risk. It means you back off, take your foot off the gas a little bit. And there, there's some wrinkles with the Michigan State TIA plan. And that's why we, we kind of chose to say that that's the plan that uh, Barb and Bob were using. And so let's imagine, you know, we said Barb was more conservative than Bob. Let's say she's got about 200,000 in mm-hmm. the TIA traditional account within her 403B. You know, one of the things to keep in mind there, so that that's an annuity that pays a fixed rate. Mm-hmm. And there's some options with that at retirement. And one of the things that we always find hard to parse, and we usually have to call the Called TIA with the client is sometimes a portion of that TIA traditional is is restricted in what you can do with it, and that's yep. because it was funded with Michigan State's portion of their contributions. In simple terms, if the money came from the university that went into TIA traditional, it's probably earned a higher interest rate all along. Yep. But you have you're kind of locked in into what you can do with that during retirement. Mm-hmm. If TIA traditional fund was funded with your own contributions. Generally, you can do whatever you want. The restrictions on the TIA restricted version usually allow for you to annuitize it, which is basically turn it into a pension, a guaranteed lifetime payment. 
yep. over your lifetime or jointly over your lifetime and your spouse's lifetime. And there's some other versions in there where you can have guaranteed payments for so many years if you don't live that long. There's different things you can do, but essentially turn it into guaranteed payments. The fastest you're allowed to withdraw that is over 10 years. What we do there, you know, is we treat, we treat that as though hypothetically, what would that look like if you wanted to turn it into a pension? How does that change your plan? Essentially then say, say Barb's $200,000 in TIA traditional was all restricted. If we annuitized that, she would get, you know, so much a month guaranteed for life. And we would plug that into the plan as a income stream. Yep. That then doesn't have to come from the portfolio, but then that's also two hundred thousand dollars less that they can't grab fifteen thousand from to go mm-hmm. on vacation, or you know, it's 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 then no longer part of their liquid assets. It's right. just like social security for them at that point. So we can look at that, and generally, what that does is it takes some of the risk out of the plan particularly Mm -hmm. if longevity is an issue because they cannot live it, right? Right. You can live to 120 and TIA still got to send you that check every month, but it also reduces liquidity. So for some people, that's a good trade-off, especially if Barb is conservative and worried about the finances during retirement and not having a paycheck. It's a way to replicate part of that paycheck. But the downside is it's not liquid. It's locked in, you know, inflation. So... For a client that has substantial money in their retirement accounts, annuitizing a portion of it may make sense. If, if they don't have other liquid resources or if annuitizing it and annuitizing it to make a meaningful monthly payment leaves them short on other things, then that trade off might not look so good. A client with a higher risk tolerance uh, might prefer to not annuit, like do the 10-year rollover plan and do something else with that money as it comes in. Yeah, so lots of things to think about there. And, you know, a couple of the things I'll touch on that you said there, Dave, you know, kind of the reduced risk of it and and really protecting against longevity. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of personal decisions. And so everybody's going to fall on a little bit different spectrum there, but it's really helpful when we plan it out in our software, we're putting these scenarios side by side so you can see exactly what the differences are. So you yeah. can, if you can say, hey, that taking on that extra risk is worth it or hey, not having that risk might be more worth it. To yeah. Me. I think that's a really good way to kind of look at it. And to sum this up, I based, I based Barb and Bob on a couple of actual clients that I, I did a plan for a couple of years ago. And Barb, in this case, was conservative and was very nervous about retirement while her husband was, he would be 100% equity all the time if I let him. Mm-hmm. And part of, so we, we, she had about 300,000 in TIA traditional and we did annuitize it. And so we've gone through a couple rocky patches in the market since then, right? With the COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID crash. Oh, yeah. And then last year was just abysmal. I think I started with these clients in 2019. So they had like one good year. You know, they've had some good times. They've had some bad times. But in three or four meetings since then, Barb has said to me, I don't worry about stuff because we annuitize that for it. Because I know I've got, she's got $900 or I can't remember exactly what it worked out to. I can look it up. Mm-hmm. Coming in every month that I know covers my car payment and you know, groceries and along with their social security, that just lets her 
ignore the fact that we're taking risk and her, you know, that her husband wants to take, you know? So while I can make the argument all day long, she probably would have been better off in the long run to not annuitize that. The peace of mind that it gives her and the fact that it lets her stay in the market with the rest of her money Mm -hmm. is worth it. That's a good trade-off. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that we didn't really kind of touch on, but you, you mentioned there is by annuitizing, it does allow the other parts of your portfolio to be a little bit more aggressive. Right. Yeah. And that sometimes can, you know, pay dividends down the road too. Yeah. Yeah. If for the, the, that has, she's like the classic case for where it makes sense, you know, with reduced risk capacity, we would definitely need to be reining Bob in a little bit too. Other things we would talk to them about would be the pros and cons in general of rolling over from the 403B to an IRA where, you know, we we can manage the funds more to the way that we want with more cost-effective funds across a broader spectrum of choices than what's available within the Michigan State Plan. Yeah, I think the the Michigan state plan on itself is a really good plan, you know, low cost fund choices, but just like any plan, any retirement plan, the choices are limited on purpose because what they found is that the more choices <laughs> they give participant, the less participation they get. And that's kind of defeating right. the purpose, right? The goal is right. to have more participation. So if that means less fund choices, then that's kind of the direction that they went. And so, you know, you really need to look at when you're when you're figuring out your options, which are A, you know, I can keep everything there, B, I can roll it into an IRA, or C, I guess you could cash it out and do something crazy with it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's one of those considerations of do I do I need to, does it make sense for me to build a more diversified portfolio than what I can build in my current plan? All of this kind of goes together. And leads us to one other like tactical part of the plan that we would talk to them about. And this is a pretty common discussion. Wasn't this part wasn't true of the clients I based this on originally, but I thought this made a good talking point is um, Mm -hmm. paying off, you know, Barb's, Barb's adamant that they can't retire until the mortgage is paid off and say we've done the planning work. And for every, for all the other reasons they should retire, can retire when they want, but, but, the mortgage is still out there. So part of this, from my point of view, would be an education thing. You know, at three and a half percent on a uh, fifteen-year mortgage that's you know halfway through its uh, its life at this point, the actual interest cost of their payments is pretty pretty low compared to what they should be making on their investment portfolio. Yeah, but I think there's this kind of thought process of, you know, a lot of people believe that your mortgage should be paid off before you retire. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the previous generation Mm -hmm. where interest rates were higher. Your biggest source was of, you know, retirement income was your pension, which didn't really Mm -hmm. adjust for inflation very well. And so Mm -hmm. those dynamics were really different than what we see right now in terms of where interest rates are and where your main source of retirement income is coming from. Let's flip this around. So the mathematical answer from a financial planning calculator is going to be, no, don't pay off your mortgage. And and another wrinkle would be, where would the funds come from if you're going to pay the mortgage off? Mm -hmm. And if it's coming out of retirement accounts that are probably tax deferred, you're going to have to pay taxes on top of 
the lump sum you need to pay the mortgage off anyway. And it just makes it that much tougher to break even in terms of the math, right? Right. But let's, let's look at it from Barb's point of view for a minute. What she's really saying is that's one more thing that I'm obligated to pay with fewer resources to pay it from, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and she's not wrong. She's not wrong. You know, that's mm-hmm. out there as an obligation that's got to come from somewhere, whether it's out of an annuity payment and social security or the portfolio that's moving around in value. That's one more thing that they're obligated for. And in a practical sense, you know, making the mortgage payment go away is similar to increasing their monthly income because we're decreasing the need, right? And so for a conservative client, that's definitely, you know, a um, consideration. So, you know, I would try to approach it from an education standpoint that, you know, mathematically it's it's better to just keep making. If if you gave me money at three and a half percent, I would borrow it all day long, you know? And, and go right, yeah, yeah, and I well, and I'd, I'd go and invest the. I go buy a, I'd go buy a bond that's paying me seven percent, and you know, keep the right. difference, arbitrage, but uh, but that's me, right? That I'm not mm-hmm. Barb, and so if we couldn't move that needle, then we would look. I, I think then the next conversation is okay. How do we pay that mortgage off as soon as possible? Yeah. Without jeopardizing the rest of the plan, right? Mm-hmm. Do we do we work a little bit longer and make bigger payments? Let maybe reduce what's going into the 403B, you know, to make a bigger monthly payment while they're still working. You know, what what is the and, and you know, this would really come down to the psychology behind how Barb feels about it and Bob's input and it's it, you know, the mathematical answer is pretty cut and dry, but the practical answers are going to take some, some finesse and some agreement. Yeah. And I kind of go back to one of the things that we said in the beginning, and that is we want our clients, we want Bob and Barb to be able to retire to something, not from something. And if what's getting in the way is having a mortgage and Barb doesn't feel like she can comfortably retire and is always going to be worried about that payment, Mm -hmm. then let's find the best solution to get rid of that as soon as possible. Because chances are there's not a big difference in terms of your ability to retire, whether you pay off the mortgage or don't pay off the mortgage. Right. right. Like that's yeah. not going to move the yeah. needle by a massive amount. It's going to be a yeah. pretty, it's going to be a pretty minimal amount. And so if that's the big sticking point, there's ways to pay off the mortgage that, you know, are going to be worth it because you're going to, you know, Barb in this case is is going to feel a lot better about where she's at retiring and not having the concern. Yeah. If we took a plan in general and ran it with keeping a mortgage and making payments on it for 10 years or 15 years or whatever's left versus taking a lump sum out of the portfolio at the beginning of retirement and paying the mortgage off, and keep all things equal. Say they've got money sitting in a savings account or whatever, you know, to, to do that with. The plan, what you'll see is that the end result of making the payments will be higher because we're generally assuming you're going to make more money on your portfolio than what the interest on the mortgage is. But the variability will be higher. Right. So uh, again, kind of like the annuity discussion, it makes the plan more conservative 
but doesn't necessarily make the outcome better. Right. In fact, it, it will probably, if, if the world works the way it's always worked, you would have been better off not making the mortgage payment. What you've done is taken some of that risk of those outlier scenarios where the markets don't do well, or there's, you know, a financial crisis early in retirement that, that hurts your portfolio. No magic answer to it. We just would have to work that through with the client. That's why I don't worry about robo-advisors and chat GPT. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, anything else you can think of for Bob and Barb? No, I think we, uh, I think we did a good job of going through all the different um, kind of decision points that you would have to make. And hopefully that was helpful to our listeners and just kind of thinking through our thought process and a lot of this, Dave, and, and how we kind of help guide clients through making these decisions. You know, it's interesting at the end of the day, we can't, you know, we don't have a cut and dry. Here's exactly what you should do. It's more mm-hmm. along the lines of helping people make that decision that going to be best yeah. for them that they're most comfortable yeah. with. And so that's kind of the way and the reason why we set it up the way that we do. Yep. Well, this has been fun. I appreciate it. And uh, if our listeners have any questions, feel free to email us at info at srbadvisors.com. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nick. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.